Good morning, everybody in Medina. I bring you, and everybody on the webcast, by the way, I keep forgetting that we're live now. How many people are we reaching on the, on the webcast, roughly? Does anybody know? Wow. Boy, I just got a little bit more nervous. <laughs> Seems like every time you stand in front of an audience, everybody's looking at you, and all of a sudden, all those collective eyes become this, this one eye, and they're just standing at you. But I, I bring you greetings from Columbus, Ohio, and also the Indianapolis congregation, of which I'm the associate pastor of there as well. I've been, been on the road quite a bit. I get to Indy every couple weeks, and uh, last night, Angie and I, we had our son in the hospital, so we're a little bit tired today. We, he was there until about 3 a.m. He had an asthma attack. So I bring that up to just to ask that you maybe keep him in your prayers. And uh, with all the prayer requests that we have, this seems a little bit superficial, but I'm going to go ahead and ask for some prayer requests as well. I was, uh, I've been dealing with a heel injury for the last three months. It just won't go away. So I, I limp on my left foot. And then yesterday as I was feeding the animals in the barn and watering the animals in the barn, I felt like I had a briar in my boot. It was one of those, those rubber boots you know, come up to your knees, keep it from getting muddy. So I stomped my foot down real hard. I don't know why I did that. It's like ever since I was a little kid, I wake up in the morning and I start doing stupid things. I don't know what it is, okay? So you got a briar in your boot, so what do you do? You stomp on it, okay? That really hurt, okay? So I want to take my boot off, and my boot won't come off. I look down, there's a nail about this long stuck in my foot. And uh, so now I, I, I'm, I'm walking like this. You know, I look like a duck. But be that as it may, um, please keep us in your prayers as well. And we, we should keep each other in our prayers because, man, life hits us, doesn't it? Life circumstances. We walk this earth and we're so frail and fragile and so uh, just vulnerable to the elements of the world and sicknesses and all kinds of things. So we should just keep, our, keep each other in our prayers. Well, with my sermon today, I'm going to give... A little bit of a, a caveat, because I know some of you have heard this one before. Uh, I, I've given this before a while ago, and I did it for an armor of God, and I, I need this for the TV program. But I'm going to switch it up a little bit so it won't be too, too repetitive. Turn with me, if you would, please, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll just read, let's just go down verses 1 through 5. And this is going to serve as our predicate today, and we'll, we'll build upon this, because I want to talk about a, a topic that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't understand. In the world of Christendom, there's a lot of confusion regarding this topic. So what am I talking about? Let's just read down through here just a little bit. <clears throat> Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Have you ever felt judged? Anybody in here ever been unfairly accused? Had somebody tell you what their perspective is about you in a, in a clear honesty that kind of hurts, even though if it's not true? Judgment. Are Christians allowed to judge? It seems like this topic is, is more and more contemporary as we watch the news. 
as we see the events unfolding in the United States of America, as the politics begin to really kind of spread out there, we got side fighting against side, we got issue after issue. We have all these migrants coming in from South America. And if you say you're against that, you want borders to be blocked, guess what? You are racist. These pejorative labels that people put on people. About a year ago, I'll give you a little bit of a story. Now, I'm one of those, those ministers that believe that anytime we stand up here and speak, that whatever we say ought to have relevance. It ought to be something that we can apply in our lives. Otherwise, we're just talking. And I like to tell stories. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. You know, as long as I tell stories about myself, I, I pretty much stay out of trouble. But about a year ago, give or take, I was out doing my job. And in case you don't know, I own my own business. I'm a window washer. Okay? Now, in, in, in the world of judgment, I guess what you would say as a window washer probably isn't the most prestigious job you could think of, you know? When people think about prestigious jobs, they think about, oh, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a cop, I want to be this, I want to be that. So sometimes when I go out there and do my job, people don't look at me with such a high regard, okay? And to some degree, I understand it because in my business, there's a lot of hustlers. And sometimes you have to prove to people over time that you're not one of those hustlers, that you're actually an honest business person just trying to make a living, just trying to put some food on the table. So one day... I'm out there just doing my thing, washing windows. It happened to be right across from the courthouse. And I assume there were a group of attorneys or some sort of uh, legal professionals were coming from the courthouse. And the shop was like a little health shake store. They sell teas and shakes and all these different things for health. And they were walking by me. One lady looked at me, it was a group of ladies, and she said, oh, look. There's a window washer. You don't see those guys much anymore. That's pretty neat. I thought, oh, okay. The other lady said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> just looking at that guy, what he's doing, my IQ level just dropped 10 points. Now, if you know me, I wanted to respond by saying, well, that's too bad. You didn't have too many IQ points to lose in the first place. But I didn't. I didn't. I stopped. And I just considered that oftentimes when people pass judgment on you, I think it was Denzel Washington that made a statement like this. I'm not going to quote him directly, but something like this. I don't really worry about what people say about me as far as how they judge, about how I look, about my, maybe they're just jealous of my haircut. I don't know. Sometimes people just get jealous. Because oftentimes when people say things about you, it's a direct reflection of their character and not really about you at all. It's who they are. That's their modus operandi, so to speak. That's their unrighteous judgment. So the Apostle Paul predicates on what he's about to say here by saying, it's no big thing. It's no matter to me. I will not be judged by you. I will not be judged by any human court. I don't care. He continues. Let's read down through here. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Who has the right to judge in this world? Now, I'm not talking about assessing. 
placing values on certain behaviors, placing priorities on things that we see that we may like and we may not like. We make judgments every single day. If I woke up today and I didn't have Angie to dress me being slightly colorblind, I don't know what my suit would look like. So I have to make a judgment to let Angie so address me, so to speak. Otherwise, I would look like a clown up here, more than I do so right now. But uh, we make judgments every day. But there is a big difference. See, the, the Bible has this, this concept of judgment as it relates to God and His prerogatives and His calls, who He saves, who He condemns. That is His right, and as human beings, you know, I've learned that if Jesus Christ can stand there and record for us in the Scriptures that He is the great I Am, you know what, you know what conclusion I've come to about me? Then who am I? He is the great I Am. Do you remember when Jesus, right before He was about to be sacrificed for the Passover, do you remember what His disciples were worried about? Judge, they were judging each other. Do you remember what they were saying, what they were asking? Lord, tell us, who's going to be the greatest? Do you remember that? Well, to me, the argument doesn't really exist because Jesus has already defined the fact that He and the Father are the greatest. There is nobody beside them. So human beings, in our way of empathizing with each other, ought to take some time and just kind of deflate our egos a little bit when we see some of the things going on in the world that we do not like. I have a hard time with that sometimes. When I watch the news, I'll tell you, my wife will tell me, why don't you just turn that off, Tony? Because I'll talk back to him. Are you insane? Are you an idiot? And i got to watch myself. I really do because you don't know who's telling you the truth anymore, who's lying to you. It is so ridiculous. But this thing called judgment, I've come to realize that I've got no right to judge anybody let alone on the superficial things that people judge each other on. We judge each other based on appearances. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. Because somebody doesn't look like us. Because somebody might not have the same skin tone as us. Because somebody may not be as beautiful as us. I was with a guy one time, and... Uh, we're having breakfast. And we, he looked over at this, this other guy who had his feet propped up. He's very overweight. He was eating pancakes and drinking a Pepsi. Okay? I didn't even know, I didn't even know the guy was there. I'm, I'm there talking to this person. I don't really care what's going on around me. He goes, oh my goodness, Tony, would you look at that? I said, look at what? Look at that fat slob over there eating his breakfast. I about fell back in my chair. I was like, what's he doing to you? Is he bothering you? Did he say something to offend you? Then leave the guy alone. He's just trying to go through life and enjoy his life. Leave the guy alone. And that's sometimes the perspective within the church of God that we have to maintain. We have a, how do I, how do I say this? We have a duty, we have an obligation, we have a calling. We have, we have an obligation, if I didn't already say that, to witness and warn to the world to prepare the way of the return of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes I like to say that we have in, in our own little way kind of like this John the Baptist type ministry where we're preparing people for the return of the Lord. 
And sometimes we convolute the issues between the person. We don't know why people do what they do, even though we don't like sometimes the things that they do. The big hot-button topic nowadays, homosexuality, I get it. We should preach against it with every fiber of our being, okay? We should do that. But what, what caused them to be that way? What happened in their life, brethren? I'm not excusing the behavior. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not excusing the behavior. I think we ought to speak out against the behavior. But at the same time, we should, as Christians who have received grace in the gospel. Anybody here deserve grace? I did not deserve grace. I did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to earn it. Salvation is a gift. We did nothing to be privileged to have it. We ought to mix the truth with grace. Honestly. Let's just continue down through this frivolous type judgment that people use. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts then each one's praise will come from God. And I guess that's my point. Not to judge things, whether it be a situation, whether it be a, a person, whether it be a behavior before the time. We just came out of time of God's holy days. I guess that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about judgment today in addition to the other reasons why I told you because we just came out of the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles in which we are told to rejoice, right? And we are told in the book of Timothy that we are supposed to preach in season. And I, I guess in a lot of ways, it, it goes a long way to address one of my, my pet peeves in the church. And that is, let me, let me just back up. Anybody just take some time when you're driving to church today? We drove up in sunny weather. This, these clouds just appeared about five minutes before we got here. Anybody just take some time to enjoy that sunlight and just kind of look at the trees? Absolutely beautiful. The golds and the reds, some were still green, some were brown, some were already dead, so to speak. But we're reminded, we're reminded that we're going into a different season now. You see, we're going into winter. I wish that we could make ourselves a promise to get away from this. Oh, here we are. Oh, we're going into winter. We're without reminder of God's holy days. We're, we're without reminder of what God's doing in the earth and what He's doing with mankind. I mean, i got scriptures here we could turn to, but you're well educated. I don't need to, to spend the time to turn to all of them. But Leviticus 20, 23, the whole chapter, talks about God's moeds, His high days, His holy days, His, his convocations that we're called to. 
We've come full circle, brethren. We've come full circle all the way back from Passover to the last great day, and now we're going into the winter. And we got to be careful with this because we are not without reminder of who God is and what he's doing. Why do I say that? Let me digress briefly. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23 real quick. Now, obviously, brethren, Leviticus chapter 23 defines God's holy days. But where does he start? I mean, we talk about Passover, we talk, talk about the days of unleavened bread, we talk about all those high holy days, and we should because they're good. But what does God predicate these high day reminders of who he is and what he's doing with? Let's read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, not the Jewish feasts, the feast of the Lord, they belong to him, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Right? Elementary. Elementary Christianity 101. Okay? Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do new work on it. It is a Sabbath of your Lord, of the Lord, in all your dwellings. Are we without a reminder? You see, we have a very unique perspective living in the Midwest. Yeah, with few exceptions, we pretty much get four seasons. We get spring. We get summer. We get fall. We get winter. We get a very unique perspective on things. And the reason why I brought up a tree is because you ever watched a tree in its seasons? It's amazing how it changes. Let me read you a story. It's about judgment. Because we're coming out of a time of judgment. And oftentimes people look at winter as the ultimate judgment. Everything's dead. Right? Right? But we forget the lesson of the last great day that everybody's going to get a chance. Let me, let me read you a story because I'm going to use this throughout the sermon, okay? And if you need a title for today's sermon, it's called Staring at the Peach Tree. There was a man who had four sons. He wanted them to learn to not judge things. I inserted people here too quickly. So I sent them each on a quest to go to look to go look at, rather, a peach tree. The peach tree was a great distance away. He sent his first son in the winter. I really wouldn't want to be that guy. Why me in the wintertime? You know, that long walk. The second in the spring, his third in the summer, his youngest in the fall, and when they had all gone and come back, he called them together to describe what they had seen. Do you think they saw the same thing? If you were to go see a tree in the wintertime, you would not see the same tree that you saw in the springtime. Oh, it would be the same tree, but what about its appearance? Now, if you stopped and you looked at that tree in the winter, just like sometimes we do people, because oftentimes we see people doing things that we don't like, it's a snapshot of their life. It's just a season 
of their life. I'm not excusing it, but if you went there in the winter, you'd probably not get a very good picture or impression of what that tree was like. Why am I talking about a tree? Well, let's go to Romans, if you would, please. And we'll keep coming back to this. Uh, let's go to Romans. Where did I want to go? Romans. I'm already way off my notes, so you'll excuse me if I shuffle just a little bit. Notes are like schedules. They're just there. They don't always, they don't always uh, go together. Let's go to Romans 1, if you would please. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read, uh, let's go to 18 through 22. So let me find my place here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You mean there's people out there in the world that would actually purposely suppress the truth of God? There is an all-out war against God's truth, especially in this country that, by the way, was and is founded on Judeo-Christian principles. I don't care what anybody tells you. There's this movement to get people to believe that, ah, we're not Christian. Look at our attitudes. Look at our behaviors. I agree with you. Our attitudes and our behaviors oftentimes in a country that is named after Christ and predicated upon Judeo-Christian principles, it's quite embarrassing sometimes. But if you want the analogy, you want the perfect analogy drawn out, Israel, were they not God's people? How did Israel conduct themselves sometime? Deplorable, right? So we're going to say that Israel wasn't really Israel because of their behaviors? No, what it does is it points to the fact that their behaviors are more egregious because of who they are. It doesn't mean we're not a Christian nation. That means we've, we've forgotten some things. That's what it means. Because of what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they knew God, but they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were dark, and professing to be wise, they became as fools. So really what we're reading about here is the fact that a lot of people like to tell you, like to tell us as Christians, that we are completely and utterly faith-based, like a blind faith. But yet the Bible tells me time and time after again, whether it be a primary source or review something through his creation, that he has left us evidence and examples of who he is and what he's doing through his creation. Have you ever considered a tree? Let's think about a tree for a minute. Now we look at there and we kind of take it for granted. We go, oh, yeah, it's just a tree. Right? How long did God think about that to create this thing called a tree? It provides food, it provides shelter. 
It provides building materials. I mean, you're talking about something that is so utilitarian and functional and yet beautiful at the same time that I have to sometimes stop and think. Just I ask myself these stupid little questions. How long did God think of this concept of a tree? I know. Let's just create a tree. I mean, where did it come from? Take them a thousand years, five minutes, it take them a million years. I mean, to us, things just seem so simple because we walk by them and there they are. We just take it for granted. But there was a lot of thought that went into that process. There was a lot of thought that went into that. You know why? Because it was there for us to sustain us on this androcentric sphere that we're on to provide for us and to teach us something about ourselves, if I may. Why do I say that? Well, let's go over to Psalms chapter 3, if you would, please. No, Psalms chapter 1, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 1. Last year we lost our, our deacon, Mr. Luca. He uh, had passed away in his sleep, and I was on the phone with the police when they found him. But the reason I say it is because this was his favorite scripture, and the first psalm in our, our hymnals was his favorite, favorite hymn. Well, we talked about this quite a bit. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. The analogy of mankind juxtapositions against this inanimate object like a tree is in and out through the scriptures. And we learn a lot by a tree by looking at the seasons that it's in. He says, planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Notice that. In its season. Church of God, what season are we in as members of God's church? We are in the season of salvation. Those people out there, as we oftentimes refer to them as those people out there, they are not. They're in their own season. It's not time yet. They have not responded to the call yet. The time of judgment to begin is now, and it started in the church of God. That's what Peter says. We're in the, the season of salvation. The ungodly are not so, but they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I don't know about you, but the psalmist here, when he talks about people and their behaviors, that sounds a little judgmental. Sinners, the scornful. But that's not really judgment. That's assessment. That's valuation. That's when you start looking at people and thinking they're less than human beings because of the way they conduct themselves, that's when we start to become judgmental. That's when we become judges, so to speak. Let me, let me read you something here, if I can get it off my phone. Written by another pastor. Never heard of him before. But he asked the question, 
or he gives you seven signs, gives us seven signs, seven signs that you're judging others. I'm not going to tell you how many applied to me. I'm going to keep that secret. You are more enraged at somebody else's sin than you are embarrassed by your own. Oops. You ever heard the statement that those who live in glass houses ought not throw stones? Or make sure your garage is clean before you start to come over and try to clean mine out? Or why do you try to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye and yet you walk around with a beam in yours? Who said that? That was our Lord that said that. Oof. Kind of brings me back to reality. You refuse to forgive, or when you forgive, you refuse to forget. Now, I might have a little bit of issue with this. As Christians, when somebody wrongs us, are we required to forgive? Absolutely. It is not an option. We are told we must forgive. But sometimes in this, especially under the topic of judgment, sometimes we confuse the issue of forgiveness and whether or not there's going to be reconciliation because those are two different topics. I'm going to say something that might make you a little bit squeamish to hear, but, but, but it's true. It's truth. I'm going to prove it here in just a minute. Jesus does not require you to reconcile. Ooh, have I lost my mind? The gentleman here says we're supposed to forget. Let me bring you an example. Let's say we're starting a church, okay? And we're putting people in their places, and okay, you're going to do Sabbath school. Okay, you're going to be the minister. Okay, uh, we need a treasurer. We need a treasurer. Oh, well, well there's, there's, uh, there's Johnny over there. Oh, but wait a minute. He was convicted of embezzlement. Do we put him as treasurer? Now he's changed. There's a lot of people out there that believe that people can't change. If someone comes to Christ, they repent and they're baptized. I believe them. I forbear them. It doesn't mean I trust them. That's what forbearance means. It simply means I don't trust you yet, but I'm going to work on this until you give me a reason not to. But it would not be fair to a church or to the individual to put them in a situation that might cause them some trouble. It's not fair. So when we say forget, okay, we bury the past, we forget about the wrong, but there's some things that are just too valuable to just overlook. Does that make sense? Does that make, does that make sense? It does to me. You don't put people in an unfair situation. And I'm going to get back to this in a second because oftentimes what we're judged is because, number one, we share our viewpoints with a world that doesn't care about God's Word, so they judge us. When it comes to judgment, oftentimes you hear, on TV and the news, aren't you being a little bit judgmental? You don't want this caravan coming through the border? Isn't that a bit judgmental? Aren't you Christian? Should you judge? It's always thrown in our faces. But you realize, and I'm sure you do, that through the history of the church of God, we are the most judged people in history. Maybe the, maybe the Jews, they had a harsher judgment you know, in, during World War II, but through the years, through the millennium, brethren, 
Christians who believe like us, Christians who don't believe like us, have been set to horrible fates because they were judged horribly. So when people throw it in my face that I'm judging them too harshly or because I don't like the behavior, I'll say, well, or Christians are too judgmental, I'll say, well, have you studied history? See, most people argue or they debate from a position of ignorance. They don't know their history. And that's where they go wrong. But we share our viewpoints. We're judged on that. Or when it comes on issues of forgiveness, well, oftentimes we're judged. Let's go over to... Um, Let's go to Matthew 18. Because I want to solidify that point. We are required to forgive. I think in the most hopeful, hopeful scenarios that we would hopefully try to reconcile. That is the ultimate goal, to reconcile with people. Let's, what, let's read what Christ says about forgiveness and reconciliation. He says, moreover, in verse 15 of Matthew 18, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Right? If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, right? So you can get somebody's witnesses to kind of keep account of what's going on. And then he makes a very interesting statement. He says, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear, even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. The word and there. It's not bad enough that you consider them a heathen. But he also adds, consider them a tax collector. Now, what's a heathen? Heathen is somebody who doesn't believe like you, who causes you emotional pain, who is always bombastic in your face, causes you trouble. That's like, this is like a metaphor, who the heathen is, okay? What is a tax collector? I'm talking about relationships and reconciliation and judgment. What's a tax collector in the, in the way of metaphor? You ever meet those people? We all have them in our lives, whether they're family or friends or whatever. Their purse is always open. They're always wanting something. And you give and you give and you give and you give until you can't give anymore. Their purse is overflowing with what you've given. And they like to tell you, you're not doing enough for me. You ever heard that? How can you reconcile with that if the person on the other side, it's not judging to say, no, I'm not going to reconcile with you. If the other party refuses to recognize any amount of culpability in their part, there is no such thing as reconciliation. That's not judgment. That's not. Now, oftentimes, and I've I've learned the hard lesson down through the years, most people don't believe they have culpability. See, both sides argue. Both sides are in this. Both sides think they're right. If they didn't think they were right, they wouldn't be arguing. Am I on the right track with that? Okay. So oftentimes, if it has an issue to do with me, I will have to look, even if I don't believe there's culpability, I'll have to say, I've got to find some culpability here. 
I got to find something, okay? Because if I don't find some culpability, then what I'm saying to myself is I'm saying, in a manner of being unaware of, I'm saying I'm perfect. There's always some form of culpability where you could have said something different, done something different, acted just a little bit different, given in here just a little bit. Without that, there is no such thing as reconciliation. And um, we're not required... We're not required to do that. But getting back to the seven signs that we might be judgmental. You cut off those who disagree with you. Anybody have a religious debate with somebody in your family? I hope we're not cutting them off because they believe a little bit differently. Oh, I've been cut off from people. Matter of fact, I've got a twin brother right now as I'm speaking who's probably saying nasty things about me on our website. People will cut you off. That's a fact. But we shouldn't do that. We should leave the door open. You gossip. I don't have time to gossip, so that doesn't apply. You refuse to receive criticism. Oof. Anybody like to be criticized? Criticism hurts. But you know, criticism makes us better. We should be open to criticism. The one major thing, the, the, the dangerous thing, the most damaging thing that's hit our society in America is this thing called narcissism. Where nobody can admit fault. Everybody thinks they're right. Nobody can give in. They get a perception of themselves that no one else has of them. They're perfect. You can't criticize because they don't want to feel any narcissistic bruise to their ego. You can't bruise them. And that's why our kids are being raised narcissists now. Okay? Everybody gets a trophy. You know, everybody's a winner. When I was little, my dad told me, okay, so you guys didn't, didn't win the championship. You had a good season anyways, Right? weren't the champions, but okay. Here's the irony in this. You refuse to correct someone's position. When someone tells you something, or they're doing something that's not quite, quite correct, and you refuse to tell them their error, I'm not saying an arrogance, I'm just saying in the moment you tell them that they're wrong, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of feeding their their presupposition that people cannot change oftentimes. People do change. People can change. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about the change, okay? And the last one, you write someone off as hopeless. They have no value. They have no value to us. They have no value to God. I won't tell you what church I was in, but quite so many years ago, someone looked at me and said, Tony, come over here. Come on. I want to ask you a question. All right. I'm open for questions. I want you to look at all these people in the room. So I did. Looked at all the people in the room. And he says, man, you know, how many people in this room do you think are real Christians like you and I are? I said, whoa, hold on. I didn't put that label on myself. I'm trying to be a Christian. Okay? And he furthered the statement by saying, I cannot wait until Jesus Christ returns and lights the fire of Gehenna, and I hope he gives me the match to do it. I had to correct that position. 
And I looked at him, and I remember what I said to him. I said, have you not heard what happens to children when they play with matches? They get burnt. So be careful what you say, say about people. All right, so getting back to the peach tree here, because Angie's going to give me a time check. Okay, I'm at what? I'm at 40, that's it, okay. We got time. The first son said, after they called his sons back to see what they had seen, he said, what, what did you see? What, what, what did this peach tree look like? The first son said that the tree was ugly, it was bent, and it was twisted. Okay? He's the one that went in winter. The second son said, no, 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 that's not true. It was covered with green buds and full of promise. The third son disagreed. He said it was laden with blossoms and smelled so sweet and looked so beautiful. It was the most graceful thing he had ever seen. The last son said, you're all crazy. You are looking at the same tree. He said it was ripe and drooping with fruit, full of life and fulfillment. You see, he saw each tree in its season. In each season of its life it looked a little bit different. Have our lives gone through different seasons? We live in the season of childhood. For most of us, it was a great time. A lot of learning, a lot of lessons. And then we went to high school, and we're in a different season. Maybe we went to college. I've only got one year of college. But that was a different season. We appeared a little bit different to people. As we matured and we grew up, our behaviors changed and we made decisions that were based upon who we are and what we believe in the moment. And then we get married. And that's another season. And we looked a little bit different. Now through all this time, up until this point, none of us were ever in the season of our conversion. I wonder how we looked to someone like us now as they're in their season of conversion, and we were still in the season of being a heathen. I could stand up here and tell you things I did in my life. I really could. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I could tell you that my behavior was so reckless at times that after our high school got, it got rebuilt, got redone, someone drove a car through it, knocked all the lockers off, off the walls, knocked the glass, knocked the doors off. Guess who the police came to first? Where's Tony and Brian? That's my brother. Because we knew you guys had something to do with this. We didn't. We were cleared. But I'm just saying, to illustrate the point that we lived not always in the season where we were dripping and ripe with fruit. Well, maybe it looked a little bit bent and twisted and ugly. Maybe we had times we did a little bit better because we had to be better for our children or whatever the case may be. Maybe we suffered with something. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was alcoholism. Maybe it was something else. But we're coming out of those seasons, the season of conversion, and sometimes, brethren, those old seasons come back, don't they? And maybe we don't look as pretty as we used to, spiritually speaking. Man, I can remember stories people told me I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to. Remember when Ted Armstrong went through all his trials? I, I, I don't like bringing this up, but it goes to illustrate the point. 
And sometimes when, when we're doing good and we're on the right track, how it's so easy to stand up like a Pharisee and judge other people, okay? Ted Armstrong did all of his things and that video was out and some decisions had to be made about him. Some people in another church told me, yeah, we went down to Tyler. Yeah, we wanted to watch the video. To this day, I can never understand why somebody would want to watch somebody in their sin. I don't understand that. I don't get it. What if, and this is how, this is how I think, this is how I keep myself grounded. What if, one day, here's Tony walking down the street, he's all high and mighty, he's doing pretty good, I learned I can walk on water if it's wintertime and the pond is frozen, okay? But without the aid of that frozen water, I am not able to walk on water. We make fun of Peter, but he took a couple steps. Okay? It is just a reminder and a grounding source of information. If we consider, what if right now an angel appeared and he had this spiritual projector and he said, oh, we're talking about judgment today. I know. Let's portray Angie's life on the projector. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's put Tony's life up there. What is his life? Now, again, I'm not excusing behaviors. Remember I said that. We had to talk about the behaviors. But as we walk through this life, have we not learned something called empathy? We should empathize with people. I don't understand what causes people or why they do the things that they do. I can't sympathize with them because I don't get it. But I can empathize with anybody because I realize what the Scripture does. When I start to feel a little bit self-righteous, it brings me right back to who I was and sometimes am. And it's not always that tree in the beautiful season. Who am I to judge anybody? I'm nobody. I'm absolutely nobody. So what do we do? Do we just we cower down and we say, okay, well, we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to pass judgment. That's what we do. We stop preaching. You know what we do when we warn people about behaviors? You see, oftentimes when we're out there sharing the gospel, whether it be in this, this platform or whether it be armor of God or whether it be one of us one-on-one with a family member, you know, when people think that we're judging them and we're trying to convince them that what they're doing is wrong, really it's love. If we do it with the right perspective, we can, we can, we can talk about these things without being condemning. Like those people that stand out uh, in front of those funerals for, for soldiers. I can't remember what church it is. But they hold up these signs. And they say they died in, they died in battle. I can't even use the words that they use because it's so vulgar. They died in battle because they were homosexuals. They died in battle because America is a, a country of sodomites. And they stand out there in their arrogance as if they've never done anything wrong in their life. The Bible tells me, brethren, if you've sinned in one aspect of the law, you've sinned in all aspects of the law. Is there a more righteous sin than another? Or a sin, sin? Sin is just sin, brethren. There is no better sin. The only, the only, you know what the only good sin is? 
It's the repentant of sin. That's the only good sin that there is. We sit there and we judge people. I just, I just don't get it. So how would we like it if our, our lives were, were put up there for people to see? I don't, I don't think any of us would like that too well. Let's go back to the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul addresses that. Okay, let's just go down through, we left off at 23, so let's read down through 24 here of Romans chapter 1. Because the Apostle Paul is going to make a lot of statements here that would seemingly be, seemingly be very judgmental. In verse 24 he says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie Ooh, i got to bring that up. i got to digress for a minute. You know what makes people evil? You know what really makes people evil? It's not the sin. It's not the sin. You know what it is? It's the lie people tell to themselves. It's the pretense. That's the real evil. You can repent of sin. But when you start lying to yourself about who you are and what you're doing and excusing behaviors, pretty soon you begin to believe your own lies. And when you begin to believe your own lies, you're not doing anything wrong. Guess what else you're not doing? You're not repenting. That's the true evil. That's when people quit empathizing with other people, when they fail to recognize this. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves as a penalty of their error which was due. Ooh, that's harsh. Oh my goodness, that's harsh. The Apostle Paul's not holding any punches back, is he? He's throwing uppercuts. He's throwing some body shots. He's going, bringing one from the basement. He's going at this, and he's not making any excuses. But notice who he's referring to. He's not saying, I'm judging them. He's saying, God is the one who is doing it. Not him. Because you're going to see here a very, I remind you rather, if you haven't seen this for a while, the Apostle Paul does something beautiful in this verse of Scripture that serves to help each and every one of us in our walk. As even they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being fulfilled with all unrighteousness. That, I think that would pretty much cover it right there, filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindus they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. Whew. I can almost see some crowds. Yeah, Paul, give it to him. Let him have it, buddy. Don't hold back, right? He's really letting him have it. Ooh, but watch what he does next. 
Therefore, <laughs> you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge another, who you are a judge rather, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Let that resonate for a second. I don't know any aspect of God's Ten Commandments that the Apostle Paul did not cover in that, that long monologue that he was giving them in his letter. When he made the statement, all unrighteousness, that pretty much covers it. But then he gets into some specifics. In another place he says, he's talking about sodomites, homosexuality, and he says, as were some of you. People do change. People do change. When we judge people, we run into a danger. It's a very dangerous position for the Christian to be in. Anytime we take a position as an expert or the professor or the one who's got it made, or you know what that is? That's the easiest position to attack. Because it is very easy, very easy, in the way that we're geared as human beings, to look at someone else and fault find. People are real good at fault finding. It's real easy to judge. It really is. So the position we never want to find ourselves in, in this topic of judgment, is if we find ourselves playing the hypocrite. That's the hard part. And what did we just do to the gospel at that point? We just validated a lot of people's feelings that people can't change, they don't change. Everybody's rotten, everybody's nasty, everybody needs to be judged. I mean, we're just validating those things. You ever thought about the insight that Jesus had on people's lives? We're talking about judgment. He encountered a lot of sinners in his life. As a matter of fact, the same people that we were talking about, you know, he talked about the, the heathen and the tax collectors. What did he do? Did he do away with them? Did he not talk to them? Did he ignore them? No, he ate with them. He talked with them. He listened to them. He healed them. He preached to them. But God will not be mocked. I understand that, that scripture. But he was very much involved with people and he was very much uh, in tune to people's feelings because the one thing that Jesus does or did, and still does, is the one thing that we can't do. We never know what's going through people's minds when they do the things that they do. I'm not able to read people's minds. And I'm glad I can't. Can you imagine having that? Jesus had the discernment to the point where he could perceive people's thoughts. He could perceive what they were thinking. Now, when people say some of the worst things to you that you've ever heard in your life, can you imagine what it would be like if you could read what they thought about you? Can you imagine that? That would be a burden to me. Oh, it looks like when you said that, you were holding back because I can perceive your thoughts. I know what you really think. But be that as it may, it brings it right back. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you escape the judgment of God? 
Jesus said, whatever you judge, judge not, because whatever you judge, whatever measure you use to judge people with, it will be measured back to you. And the problem with judging people, especially when we, we use the Bible as a weapon, oftentimes very few of us live up to the expectations that we put on other people. That's the challenge in that. Found to be hypocrites. Oftentimes we are. Oftentimes we do. But what kind of use are these people to our Savior, people who sin and practice such things? The Bible tells me that Jesus Christ came in the world to save it, not to condemn it. And his soul finds no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He wants everybody to be saved. He really does. So if they find a tree in a season, and people just want to cut it down, what does the Lord say about that? Well, he's got something to say, and I've got to wrap this up. Let's go to Luke chapter 13, I believe it is. Yep, Luke chapter 13. And maybe I should have uh, entitled this sermon Staring at the Fig Tree because Jesus brings up the tree again by way of showing behaviors and and the value of people, okay? He says here in in verse 6, of Luke 13, and then I'm going to finish the story. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Right? He was looking for that tree in the summer. Right? He didn't find it. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking. Let's call that three seasons. For three years, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? It's useless. Just like oftentimes we look at people. How people judge each other. Oh, they're just useless. Well, behaviors are not profitable, but God has a plan for them too. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, Well, but not after that, then you can cut it down. Let it live its seasons, is what Jesus is saying. Let it live its life. Let's close with the rest of the story here. After hearing his son's response, the wise father replied, Sons, you are all correct, because you have each seen only one season in a tree's life. But you cannot judge a tree or a person or anything else only in one season. Most things can only be measured at the end when all seasons have come to pass. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, next time I feel like I'm getting into this cycle of judging somebody else, I'm going to remember who I used to be and who sometimes I am still because we all still struggle with our past. The one thing that Jesus didn't have, he didn't have an old man that crept up on him. We do. So what I'm going to do, next time I feel a little self-righteous, I'm going to go find myself a peach tree. And then I'm going to go get a chair. And I'm going to sit there for a while. A good while. Not for five minutes. Not for an hour. Not for a week. 
and not just for a season. I'm going to sit there for the whole duration of that tree's life, and I'm going to watch every season of every year. And then, when all things have come to pass, then I think I'll be able to judge.